Well, good morning. That was quick. They said you have 16 seconds. I said, I can do it. I can do it. Well, I don't know about you, but our family tomorrow night, I can guarantee you what we'll be up to. We'll turn on the TV in our living room and we'll be a direct line into Times Square and we'll be counting down until the new year. And every single year when we watch New Year's Eve, I'm always reminded of the first time Rach and I ever visited New York City. Many years ago, I surprised her at Christmas with a trip. I found some cheap airfare and we took a weekend away. We only had Ella at the time and we went away for a weekend. And when we got there, we bought tickets for one of those hop-on, hop-off bus tours. And it was amazing. We got to see the sights. We got to go all around the city. And one of the things that we did included in there was what they called Manhattan and Brooklyn at night bus tour. And so we went on this and we got on this bus and we were at first, look how young we look there. (laughs) How young and well-rested we once were. Those were the days. But we got on this bus and it was a double-decker bus and we got in the bottom part of it and we started to go for a little bit. But just like in your car sometimes, you know how the windows kind of fog up? And we spent basically the first 20 minutes just wiping down the windows. Like, we couldn't tell what it was. Like, I think that's Madison Square Garden. I have no idea. Like, we didn't know what it was. So finally, we made our way up to the second part of it. Now, in hindsight, I should tell you, husbands, if you're ever going to surprise your wife on a trip, you probably don't want to take her to New York City in the middle of January. And you probably don't want to take her when she's 31 weeks pregnant. (laughs) So we're on top and and legit, we should have known that something was probably not the best because there was one other family on this entire bus trip with us. And they were probably from like Iowa and they didn't know any better either. (laughs) And so there were six of us on this. And I remember we sat up there and you saw the pictures. We were bundled up, teeth chattering. And I'll never forget it. At one point, she turned to me and she goes, is it over yet? (laughs) And if I'm completely honest with you, there's been times this year that I've uttered that exact same phrase. Is it over yet? Because I'll tell you, this year has been a bit of a trial. This year has been a bit of a difficulty, and I don't know if you can relate. And if you've had an amazing 2018, congratulations. But if there's any of you that are like us, it's been a bit of a ride where we're just counting down to 2019, a fresh start. You see, this year I've learned a few things. And today I just want to share what I've learned in 2018 that will maybe help you launch into the new year. Some things that God has shared with me over the year that helped us that as I step into 2019, I know God's got great plans for me. I know God has great plans for my family, and I know that God has great plans for each of you and this church. So today, I'll tell you, I'm a little bit slow sometimes. It takes me a while to kind of remember things. And so I'm going to keep it very simple for you today. I'm going to give you three things that I've learned, and we're going to use it almost like the acronym NYE for New Year's Eve. You with me? I know we're a little bit sleepy, and so go with me. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing I've learned this year is never renegotiate your name. Never renegotiate your name. 
If you've been to any professional sporting events over the last decade or two, you know it's hard to go to any arena, any stadium, without there being some corporation or some company in its name. If you've gone to the United Center to see the Blackhawks or the Bulls, my sons are huge Golden State Warriors fans, and next month, Santa brought them tickets to go see the Warriors play the Pacers, and we're going to the Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Thank you. I didn't know... I didn't plan for a pause. I didn't know people are going to be so impressed with that. It goes all the way back, talking about naming rights. Probably the first person on record, it goes back to 1926, William Wrigley, who made a fortune on selling chewing gum. Amazing. He owned the Cubs, and he was kind of the first one that kind of renamed something based on his corporation, Wrigley Field. I'll never forget, earlier this year in July of 2018, there was a big fuss because the Bank of Nova Scotia entered into an agreement with the arena there, a 20-year agreement for $800 million to be called the Scotia Bank Arena. It's the home where the Maple Leafs play hockey. It's where the Raptors play basketball. And I remember when that happened back in July, people were floored. Man, $800 million. But I'll tell you, how often... Do we let people rename us? And nowhere near close to $800 million. How often do we let them rename us for free? How often do we let the devil try to steal our identity for next to nothing? You see, I want to be real up front. Identity is not what you look like. That's not all it has to do with. I I say all the time, if I'm ever at a bank and it gets robbed, I'm the worst eyewitness because I stand there basically in the line on my phone liking your photos. That's what I do. Like if somebody came in and there was a robbery while I'm there and they said, can you tell me who the person was? They may have had brown hair, but I don't, black, I don't know. Anything else you can tell us about? Follow the guy that has the bag of money. I don't, I don't know. I'm terrible. My wife hates it because I'll come home and I'll say, so-and-so had a baby. She's like, they did. How much did they weigh? No idea. How big were they? No idea. What's their name? I I don't. I don't know. I'm a dude. I'm sorry. I I don't. (laughs) She gets so frustrated. She gets so frustrated with me. But you see, oftentimes, Satan will try to steal our identity. It happens all the time. I see it time and time and time again. Because I think there's three things that the devil likes to do. He likes to divert you. He likes to distract you. And he likes to destroy you. He likes to divert you from the path that God has for your life. He likes to distract you from the dreams that he's put in your life. And ultimately... He likes to try to destroy the future that God has mapped out for your life. You see, Satan can't defeat God. God's all powerful. So what he does is he goes after his kids. He goes after his family. Now, I'll tell you right now, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. But you come after my kids. You come after my wife. It's on. I shouldn't say that. Work in progress. Jesus, help me. But I'll tell you, I'm pretty thick-skinned over the years. 
But I'll tell you, you come after my family, it's all off the table. Because, you see, God loves each and every one of us. He loves his family. He loves his kids. And you see, what Satan will do is he will often come to us, and he will do many different things. But he'll use the opinions of other people. He'll use what your friends think. He'll especially use what your enemies think about you. He'll even use what your family thinks about you. Oftentimes in this day and age, he'll use social media. You look and you're like, I'm never going to be as popular as that person. Look how many likes they got on their picture. Or we fall into this rabbit hole of, oh, that person unfollowed me. And now why did they do that? And you start to think, where is my place? And you see, he'll even use hurt and pain in our life. He'll use broken relationships, thinking I'll always be stuck. I'll always be single. I'll always have no friends. Or he'll use bad choices. Things that I did last week or things I even did last night before I walked in here this morning. You see, Satan will try to distract you from what God has for your life. You see, he's the master of lying. He will whisper lies about everything, but he'll especially whisper lies about God. He's good at it. You need only go back to Genesis 3 at the very beginning of creation where he started to lie to Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat this fruit, you won't really die. And in fact, he continued going. He said, it's actually the opposite. You'll actually become more like God. And Adam and Eve started to believe the lies the devil was speaking. He led them to believe that God was harsh and stingy and unconcerned with them. And I'll tell you, he still does that to each and every one of us today. You see, he says things like, you have to earn God's acceptance. He'll start to say things like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Or you'll never amount to anything, or God could never use you. You see, we have a student ministry that meets on Wednesday night. Thank you. There they are. Give it up. I love them. And one of the things that I found over the last few months is that we had students that were so concerned about what other people said about them than what God said about them. And so we finished up this year with a series called Ola Mayamo, translated into My Name Is. And we spent the last five weeks just talking about how God sees us, how God views us. Because you have to know what God says about you. I love Pastor John about three or four weeks ago. He said this line that has just stuck with me all this time. He said, you'll never know who you are until you know whose you are. And that's so brilliant. I love that. Because over 170 times in the New Testament, the phrase in Christ is used. Because when you enter in a relationship with Jesus, when you know what he says about you, you put your faith in him, you're never the same. It changes you from the inside out. Listen to this in Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, 
and it gave him great pleasure. There's other verses in the Bible that says, he delights in you. You see, before you were born, God thought about you. And he appointed you to be the great man or the great woman that you're developing into. He gave you gifts and talents that are unlike anybody else's because he has a plan and a purpose and a future for each and every one of our lives. And you see, there's sometimes throughout our lives where people have told lies about us. Your mistake, you'll never amount to anything. You might as well just end it today. But I'll tell you, that's a lie from the devil. God has a great plan. God has a great future for each and every one of our lives. You see, God has equipped you for a life beyond the lies. God has a purpose for you that is unlike anything that he has equipped anybody else to step out and do. You see, when you know who you are and when you know what God says about you, you can dig in your cleats. So when those hard times come, when the lies of the enemy come against you, you can stand firm because you know what God says about you. Never renegotiate your name. The second thing I've learned this year is your pain has a purpose. Your pain has a purpose. If I'm completely honest with you, I didn't really love school growing up. And it's weird to say that because I've been on this earth for 41 years and the vast majority of that time I've spent in some kind of educational setting. I went all the way through school. I went to college. I taught for 15 years. During that time, I got my master's and now I'm going back to school right now. So probably I figured it out about 36 years of my life I've spent in school and I didn't ever really like it. But it's crazy. But you see, there's kind of two camps of people, especially if you think back to high school. There are probably half of you that really loved high school and half of you, they couldn't pay you enough to go back to high school. You see, that was me. I was in that second camp. I absolutely hated it. And it got so bad that there were some times where I would sit down before I went to school and I would sit at our dining room table and I would start to write out a note. My mom's on the front row. She's laughing already because she knows. And I would write, to whom it may concern, because that sounded official, like what a mom would say. Please excuse Michael at 1130 to go to the dentist. He will not return the rest of the day. Sincerely, Linda Richardson. Now, I have to tell you, I did that so often that the office personnel must have thought I had the jankiest teeth ever. (laughs) Until one day I got home, and we all have parents, and there's certain times where you know that look. And I walked in, and I saw my mom, and she had that look, and she still has that look towards me sometimes today. (laughs) I still know that look, and I'm like, oh, tread lightly, Michael. But I walked in there and she said, how was the dentist today? (laughs) Busted. She goes, yeah, I I called the office to tell them something. And they said, oh, he already left for the day. And she's like, to where? He went to the dentist again. It's odd. Didn't have a dentist appointment for another five months. 
You see, I never told my mom at that time the reason. It wasn't just to skip school. It wasn't because I didn't like school. There was a kid that was a grade older than me. And it started about my sophomore year of high school. And I don't know what it was or why he did this. And this was a kid from a popular family, a well-known family that we all knew. And one day out of the blue, he came up to me and he goes, Hey, Richardson, why are you such a faggot? And you know what happened is that every single day after that, it was something that went over and over and over again. And sometimes it was just him, and sometimes it was his buddies that were involved, the popular crowd. And to be honest with you, I just couldn't take it. Now listen to me, I will tell you right now, I will never be the guy that you want to come and ask me to go hunting with you. I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. If you want to go to the movies, I'm in. If you have an extra ticket for like the Fleetwood Mac reunion tour, I'm your guy. But you see, I was that kid, I've said before, with the asthma inhaler. I almost brought it today because y'all sometimes make me nervous up here. I was not that kid that was the jock playing basketball. You see, I grew up with a great dad, but I didn't see him as much as I wanted to. So I was surrounded by some amazing women in my life. I have an amazing mom who's here on the front row. One of the strongest people I know that sacrificed so much, that prayed for me. And can I tell you, every time I stand on this platform, I always think about my mom. Because even when we didn't have much, every single night she would tuck me in bed and she would pray for God's best for my life. And I don't think either one of us knew that one day it would lead to this. But I thank you and I love you. But you see, I had great women. I had an amazing Nana. She's kind of like Mary Poppins in a lot of ways. She's from Great Britain. She kind of has an umbrella sometimes. She used to sing to me. And sometimes she sang so much it got annoying. Like Mary Poppins, we get it. Oh, you don't need to sing a song about everything. We get it. But I had a great mom. I had a great Nana. My aunt's here today, my Aunt Jan. I remember for some reason... My mom, we went to England when I was really young and they put her in charge of me. She was 17 years old and they're like, hey, we're just going to have you bring Michael back. And I was like a baby at that time. And we just handed her off or handed me off. Luckily, I made it. We made it, Ann Jan. It's good. But I'll tell you, who I was was a reflection of what I became. And I'll tell you, There were times in my life where I was so overwhelmed with the pain of what was going on in my life that I just needed to retreat from it. And you see, there's times I look back and it's crazy the story that God has for you because last year I was invited back to my high school to preach. And it was the most amazing out-of-body almost experience to walk back in there and think, Here's where I was as a 15-year-old kid, and I walk back now, and man, do I have a story of what God's done in my life. (laughs) Sit down, let me tell you. You see, I'd forgotten all about that until a few weeks ago. I had a student that texted me, and they said, Michael, can we go grab coffee? 
And so I sat down with him and I said, how are things going? How's family? How's school? And when we started talking about school, he's like, not very good. And if you were there that day, it was so eerily similar to my story. He started to talk about this kid that was picking on him, the things that this kid was saying to him every single day, how his buddies had got on board with him and now he didn't want to go to school. And you see, in that moment, it took me years and years to realize that I went through all that because now I had a story. I was able to share, hey, I know it's hard right now, but hold tight to God because he's about ready to take you on a ride unlike you've ever seen before. God's got a plan. And even in those hard seasons, God's got you. And I shared with him a verse that I clung to in my high school days. See, I love 1 Peter. And if you're looking at somewhere to read this week, start with 1 Peter. If you finish it up, I think it's five chapters, go to the sequel, 2 Peter, after it. It's one of my favorite, favorite books of the Bible. But here's what it says in the message version. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. And if you jump down to verse 19, so if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said, take it in stride, trust him. He knows what he's doing and he'll keep on doing it. You see, I understood all that time, all that stuff that I went through that the pressure of one chapter oftentimes is preparation for the next chapter. It's preparing you for what's to come, what God has for you. You see, now when I go through things that are difficult, I try not to let them overwhelm me. I try to go in with the mindset of, man, what do you want to teach me through this, God? What are you preparing me for? And it's almost become a bit of a mind shift. Not it's happening to me, but it's happening for me that God is doing something in my life, that he's making me stronger, that I'm learning something throughout this whole entire process. See, God gives you a story, a unique story that is only for you. I say to our leaders all the time at Underground, use your story. Use what God's done in your life and what God is doing in your life right now. You see, if you have students that come to Underground, they will tell you they know more about me than probably they would ever wanna know. They know more about my life right now. They know more about my past. They know more about my family. And you see, the reason for that is I want them to learn from my mistakes. I want to try to help them avoid some of the stuff that I've gone through. But secondly, even if they fall into that same trap, I want them to know that there is mercy and grace and second chances in a man named Jesus that you're never too far gone, that God has a plan no matter what, which leads us into our third and final point. Even in your darkness, you still have a destiny. You see, I wish we could spend the next few minutes with all 16 of those people who are about to get baptized. Because whether they're young or old, whether they've had a great life or a tough one, they each have a story. They each could tell you what God has done in their life. And in just a little bit, we're going to celebrate. We're going to see where they've gone from death 
to life, how they've entered into a relationship with Jesus where their future is secured. And if you're one of those 16 people at this time, we're gonna invite you to just head out to the side door because we wanna prepare you and we're gonna come back and it's gonna be an amazing party that we're gonna end with today. But you see, even in your darkness, you still have a destiny. And I'll tell you, yeah, give it up for them, amazing. You see, these last few months have been pretty difficult. You know, there's times where it's been tiring, overwhelming, even unending, it feels like at times. But throughout it, I've learned to don't get so focused on your problems that you lose sight of God's promise. In Isaiah 43, it's one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. It says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. You see, in this season, I've learned to not just say to God, why did you do this to me? But what do you want to do through me? You see, there were often times where I would view things that I was going through as obstacles when they were really just opportunities for God to say, trust in me. Give me your life. Give me your problems. Step into all that I have for you. You may not understand it, and it may be hard right now, but I've got a plan. I believe in you. I love you. You see, if you came over to our house, we have this dining room table, and it's not very pretty to look at, quite honestly, because we spend a lot of time there. There's times where my mom has taken a pumpkin pie out of the oven and put it right on our table without a pot holder underneath. And so you have a round, it's a great memory. But there's times there that our kids have painted pictures and we've tried to scrub the paint off of it and it's still there. I remember times where we sat there and our kids have written letters to Santa. You see, it's a place that I go every single morning to have my quiet time with God. It's where I go to prepare messages. And not too long ago, I was up very, very early because I'm getting old and I get up at obscenely early times now. What is that all about? And I remember one morning I was sitting there, tears in my eyes, feeling incredibly overwhelmed and wondering, what are we doing? And I remember as I was reading my Bible, God spoke to me. And he said, Michael, in this season, you will never be where I'm not. I am with you every single step in the way. You see, what I've learned is you can crumble in the crisis or you could brace yourself for the breakthrough that's about to come. You can believe that greater things 
are just on the other side of that door. I've been reading around Christmas time the book of Luke and reading the Christmas story, but I've continued reading. And just this week, I read Luke 7. And in Luke 7, if you read that, there's a passage all about, depending on your translation, they call it the immoral woman or the sinful woman. And so Jesus is invited to a man's house. And and while he's there, this woman who most scholars would say is a prostitute, the kind of woman that probably people whispered about in town. They were probably the one that people looked looked at her out of the corner of her eye. They're probably the one that if you're a husband and wife and you're walking down the street and you see her, your wife would reach out and grab your hand like, oh no, you don't. But see, this woman came and bent down behind Jesus. And it said she did that because she felt unworthy. And she began to weep. And you see, the man whose house Jesus was at, when he looked at her, he could only see the sinful woman. But look at what Jesus, when Jesus looked at her, he saw beyond all of that. He saw her sordid past. He saw her humble present. And he saw her unending future. And he goes on to say, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. It doesn't say they will be forgiven, they might be forgiven at some time down the road, but they are forgiven. You see, I love Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to lecture you about your past. He wants to love you into your future. He sees you for the potential that lives inside each of us. And I know in a room this size, for some of you, you are walking through a season of guilt and regret and wondering, could God ever use me ever again? Can you hear my voice? Jesus Christ has not abandoned you and neither will this church. And there have been times that we've dropped the ball. And if we've done that, man, I beg for your forgiveness. We wanna be the type of people that are gonna love you no matter where you are. No matter what has happened in your life, that's what Jesus would have done. You see, my prayer is that we become a group of people that don't bash you for your past, but believe in you for your future. We wanna see you where you're going, not where you've come from. You see, every day I get to go into my office and my windows face out the hill coming down Main Street. And every day I walk in there and I think about the young man I was at the top of that hill going to Bradley. And every day I'm reminded how far God has brought me. Because if you knew everything about me, and I'm not just talking about my past 20 years ago, but if you knew everything about me, you'd get up and leave and I wouldn't even blame you. But you see, God wasn't done with me yet. God had a plan. And here's my challenge for you. 
I want us to try to be the type of people that run to people in their brokenness when everybody else is running in the opposite direction. And I'll be upfront with you, people won't always get it. People will question it. People will minimize what you're doing. Can I tell you, love people anyway. Love them where they are. Believe in their future. Because I'll tell you, I remember those moments in my life when only a few people stood beside me because they saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And you see, I, I wanna be that to other people. There are people that stood beside me in my darkest day. And just like I think about my mom every time I'm up here, I can't help but think of all those people that prayed for me, that encouraged me, that sat down over a meal and said, hey, you're too important to leave you here. God has bigger plans for your life. God has a future beyond any you could ever even have imagined. You see, in Malachi chapter one, verse two, it says, I have always loved you, says the Lord. Some of you need to hear that today. No matter your past, no matter what you came in walking today, no matter what your 2018 has looked like and the mistakes that you've made around, I have always loved you, says the Lord. You see that passage in Luke, that's each of us. Every single one of us are that sinful woman. But every single one of us have been forgiven of our sins. You see, she sat down there by Jesus and she found safety and acceptance at the feet of Jesus. You see, she was an ordinary woman who experienced the love of an extraordinary God. And so today, I look forward to what comes next. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes we're just clawing our way to the end of this year, waiting for a fresh start. But I'm telling you today, I'm not waiting for a couple more days. I'm ready to start today. And if you're like me, and 2018 has been a bit of a difficulty, but you know that God has greater plans for you in 2019, will you just stand up right where you are right now? If you just be honest, 2019 has stunk in a lot of ways, but I stand in faith believing that God has greater things for me, that God has great plans. And even if your 2018 has been amazing, but you still believe there's greater things to come next year, you stand up too. Because I truly believe that God wants the best for each and every single one of us. And I don't wanna miss a moment because some of you have seen what Jesus has done in your life over and over and over again. But some of you may be here today and you're like, Michael, this is great. I love the fact of what God's done in your life, but I haven't entered into a relationship with him yet. I don't know what that looks like. Can I tell you, I don't wanna miss this moment because it's the greatest first move you could make as you launch into the new year. And so here's what we're gonna do. 
If you're with someone and you're like, I need to just recommit my life to Jesus again, or maybe I'm doing it for the first time, every single one of us on our feet are just gonna repeat this prayer. And if you mean it, let it go deep down into your heart. Because I believe that God has a future that outshines your past. And we're gonna step into it together and we're gonna believe that God has great things for each and every one of us. So will you just repeat after me? Dear God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. And today, God, I ask you to take away my sins. I ask you to give me a fresh start. And I ask you to direct my life. I thank you you for who you are. And thank you for your unconditional love. In your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for your first time, I'll tell you all of heaven is rejoicing. All of heaven is celebrating right now because of what you just did. And if you made that commitment for the first time, connect with one of us, either myself or Pastor John or any of the staff that's here, check in with us at the connecting point because we wanna go alongside you in what Jesus has for you in this next year and in the years to come. So now we're gonna bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. And I'm telling you, we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna party. And now if you're standing here, if this is your first time at a Riverside baptism, we just don't stand there. We cheer, we clap, we dance. It's a party because we're gonna see what God has done in my life. These 16 people are going public about what God has done in their life. So you ready? Let's go, let's go.